So we have a set of values. You know, that word is tricky, but I'll define it this way. Values are convictions or standards or things that really show what we believe and and what we're passionate about. I think every individual, uh, whether you know it or not, has some set of values, things that you're very, very strong about uh, that says a lot about uh, who you are. And every individual may, may have them in a way, and, and sometimes families have values, but we should all really embrace and have values. Uh, I love to have a vision for my own family and, and for the things that I'm doing. And those values, the things that we're passionate about and says about who we are, keep kind of the vision of where we want to be and where we want to go in view. And so it's important, I think, for us as individuals and uh, for families and, and for a church to have shared values. Well, we have them as a church. We have eight of them. And um, they're, they're posted on our website, and we haven't really talked much about this yet. If you're in a city group, you, you spent the last couple of months uh, talking about our shared values in different ways. And, and we've studied the Bible, and we've looked at the biblical basis as to how we arrived at these values. And so our church has these values. Over the next couple of weeks, I want to take the opportunity to, for us to study together the biblical basis of what these values mean and why we have them and why we want to throw them out there and why we want to embrace them and why we want these to be kind of our shared language that keeps our vision kind of in view and our mission that God has put us on and our purpose kind of in view so that we can stay on course as we move forward. Now, we could probably have a hundred of these. I mean, think about it. If we scour the scriptures and we look at the character of God and, and we see all this huge, vast number of things in which he, he loves and that the scriptures teach us that we should be about, we could have a huge list. But we arrived at these because we feel like this is how God is shaping us. We feel like these eight things are very important and stand out to us as a church as we try to reach this city with the gospel and for God and to glorify him. And so they're, they're these, truth, prayer, some of them are really self-explanatory. Some of them, as we unpack them, they're going to make maybe a little more sense. Maybe you'll be able to look at this differently than you ever have before. Maybe the idea of hospitality might not be what you think. Maybe the idea from a biblical perspective of generosity might not be what you think. We're going to talk about our shared value of diversity, and diversity may go beyond what you think as well. So come that week, because we're going to jump into God's word and talk about what it means to be a diverse people representing and blessing the nations. Real talk, you know, that's kind of like, that's a hipster term, you know. So I feel really cool just sharing that with you. Uh, I I try to do anything I can. I need any of the help I can. Really, it just means authenticity and no fear. That we're not afraid of your doubts. We're not afraid of your questions. Uh, we're not afraid of each other's doubts and questions. And, and we're going to talk about those things. And we believe that, that, that that's the best way to work them out. Is to talk about them and to go to a source that is beyond us and greater than us to find answers to those things that we think about and that we desire and that we struggle with in life. And, and so in order to do that, we've got to have some fearless conversations. And then unity. The Bible talks so much about this. And if we really sit down and talk about the thing that we really value most, I think one of the things that would come up for all of us would be 
unity. We desire that even if it's not the word we think about. We, we want it at our jobs. We want it in our companies. We want it in the organizations that we're a part of. If you play on a team, uh, don't you desire and value unity so you can get something done and, so, and in a team concept so you can win? You, you cannot win unless you are together and on the same page about what you're trying to do. In church, it's so important. When I say church, I mean people, the body of Jesus Christ, the, the community of God that comes together. So important for us to be on the same page, to understand the mission, to understand what we value, and to know who our source is so that we can accomplish everything that God wants us to accomplish. It's a huge word. We're going to talk about that. We value it. And then excellence. Maybe not what you think there either. You know, the Bible discusses this. I'm not talking about being cool or awesome. And I'm not trying to, I'm not talking about being trendy so that we can hook you into coming to church or loving Jesus. When we talk about excellence, we're talking about honoring God with our lives in a way that he desires for us. And that might be a little different than you're used to. So don't get tripped up on that word. But I think that as God has given us these lives and he's given us this purpose, then we should go after it and we should do it with everything that we've got. And we should, for the good of others and for the glory of God, want to be excellent at it. And I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning, talking about in our lives and in our community. So these are our eight values. These are the things that that we really, really, really hold strongly to that says a lot about who we are and keeps us on focus and on mission. This week, I want to talk about the first one, and it's the one of truth. This, is, this could be like a sermon series. So bear with me. I talk too fast. If there's something that is said that, that maybe uh, you didn't quite uh, pick up on or whatever it may be, um, this is not a commercial either, but if you'd like to, we do podcasts. And if you'd like to go back and, and listen again, you can. So, but, but I'm going to try as best I can. One of the hardest things I did this week was to edit this because this is so important. This is kind of the linchpin of where we live, both as believers and as a church, this idea of truth. And so to edit it down to 30 minutes uh, on Sunday, <laughs> I just committed the cardinal rule. I just put myself in a time box. Now I got to be done. Um, cardinal sin is difficult. But here's what I'm going to do this morning and what I'd like to do together with you. Because you probably didn't come here to listen to some guy opinionate. Hopefully you came here for looking for something and hopefully what you'll find in us is the scriptures and God's truth and him glorified. So what, what I'd like to do is walk through really just two passages of scripture with you and discuss why we value truth. And what we say about truth here is that it is discoverable. So this whole mystical idea that truth is something that blows in the wind and, and is something that only certain enlightened people have or know, we would say that is not true. We would say that truth in and of itself, in the essence of it, can be known, can be discovered by us. So it is discoverable. So we can find it. It is out there for us to Absorb. It is out there for us to know and for us to practice and for us to live by. So it's discoverable by us. It is knowable by us. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, who your parents are, 
what socioeconomic level you, you think you're in. It doesn't matter what culture you come from before. It doesn't matter whether or not uh, you had the right pedigree. Truth is discoverable, it is knowable, and it can be uncompromised. Once you discover it, once we find it, once we find the source of truth, once we know it, and once we begin to absorb it and it begins to kind of seed itself in our lives, then it becomes something that we can cling to. And it's something that it can really form a foundation and a framework in the backdrop of our entire lives. Everything that we do. Our, our work, our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, and then especially the way in which we interact both with other Christians and with the world. We can cling to that, we can discover it, we can know it, and we can base our lives on it. So that's the assertion that we make. This is why we make this statement. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is writing in the seat of Rome. He is writing a letter to the Roman people. He is writing to a people who have conquered and oppressed his own people. He has, he's writing to them as a Roman citizen. So he's really a guy who says, I live, this is my city, this is my place. I'm being persecuted by them. What I believe and the truth that I cling to is not held by the majority of the people that he's writing to or talking or communicating to. Paul is writing in a culture that is uh, mixed in terms of what they believe and the values. It is what is called a polytheistic culture, meaning they worship many gods. Uh, guys, if you if you're believe or you think that you're living in some of the worst days now in life, I would suggest maybe going and studying Roman history. And I would suggest maybe going and studying Rome in the first century when Paul would have written this letter. Because the things that happened in that society and in those communities and in that city from a, let's just say the word that we always kind of skirt around, from a sin perspective... That listen, Vegas ain't sin city. Rome was sin city. Uh, it's it's NC seventeen. So if you're smaller, don't go to the internet and start reading about the the movements of Octavian and Nero and Caligula. If you want to see some stuff that'll make you crazy and just scare you to death, read about that culture. There's some crazy stuff going on in our world right now. We know that. But there's always been crazy stuff going on in the world. Paul is writing this to these people. He's talking from a spiritual standpoint. He's speaking from an emotional standpoint. And he's speaking from a philosophical standpoint. And he has spent Romans 1 talking about his love for and the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ and the message of his resurrection that holds life for everyone who would believe. And at the end of this one first part of the section, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not afraid of what rescues you and has rescued me. And he said, I'm not afraid to tell people about it because I want to see them rescued too. And I want to see them know this Christ that can bring such hope and joy and eternal peace to their life. So he says, I'm not ashamed, I'm not afraid. So this is the first part. And then he gets down into this part. 
And in verse 18, I'm telling you, it gets, it gets, a, little, it gets a little hairy. Um, read some of this language. He says, I'm not ashamed. This is verse 16. It's not on the screen yet. I'm not ashamed of this good news. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. And he says, from start to finish, by faith, it is accomplished. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. And then, man, he just kind of shifts gears. He said, this is the thing that saves you, Jesus Christ. What does it save us from? See, to be saved, you've got to be saved from something. It's not just this idea. So when we, when we tell a story about somebody being rescued or we watch it on YouTube or, or we see it in the news, the natural question is, what was that person rescued from? And so the same is true of the gospel. What does the gospel rescue us from? It rescues from the power of sin. It rescues from ourselves. And at the end of the day, what we don't like to talk about sometimes is that it rescues us from God's judgment and wrath. See, the scriptures are very clear that God's grace not only is poured out on us and his compassion, his mercy is poured out on us as sinners. Uh, it saves us from sin and from eternity apart from God, but it also satisfied what God needed in his judgment. The, the scripture says that Jesus was the only thing that could have satisfied that. So this is what the gospel, that's why it's good news. That's why when we hear it, it should move us and shape us. And those who know Christ should be inspired by knowing him because of what it saves us and rescues us from. Paul decides to, to respond again and kind of to reflect that to the Romans and to the people that are living in his city and to us. He says, God showed his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. Well, really shows his anger against all sin. Who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. Suppressed the truth. So that means there's an active idea here that not only presupposes that we know the truth and it is discoverable and we, we can know what truth is and how to live our lives, but that we actively suppress it, that we actively put it away and don't follow it. Then Paul says the good news in this. In verse 19, they know the truth. He's talking about all of us. He's talking about sinful people. I'm sinful. You're sinful. We do bad things. Thankful for Christ that he, he rescues us from that and that through his Holy Spirit can impart truth into us so that we can live apart from that in our lives. We don't have to do it. Romans is very clear. It says you don't have to do these things if you're in Christ. You're under no obligation. So it rescues us from that and sets us apart to that. So he's talking about us and he's talking about people who suppress the truth. He said, it's not that they don't know it. They know the truth about God. Why? Because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. 
In verse 19, it says they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. So the reason why we suppress the truth, even though we know, I remember having a conversation with a guy one time who, who was a self-proclaimed agnostic and said that he didn't believe either. There may be a God. There may be an entity or a being that lives beyond us, but there's no external or internal evidence to suggest that. What's interesting when talking to an agnostic or an atheist is to ask them what they desire in life and what they want to live for and what uh, and whether or not they have dreams or goals. When they start stating those things, you then ask them, why would you have those? And when they say, well, well what do you mean? I'll, there's a purpose for all this. There is a, the, you know, I want to, I have a vision for my company, for my life, for my family. Well, why? If there is no God and there is no external or internal evidence that lets you know that there is something beyond me that is of greater purpose and of greater understanding that I, I can know through his truth, then why have goals and visions and dreams and purpose? There is no purpose. The thing is, is that, and this is a statement I'll just make, because I, I, I was this way before I knew Jesus, is that we, we know there's a God. In fact, it's probably one of the most presentable things that we can experience even without knowing it. The scriptures calls it this subconscious understanding in our heart that, of who God is, of, of, that he is there. It is almost harder and it is an action like suppression to not believe in a God or something beyond me than it is to believe in it. And so Paul is making the suggestion that we can know the truth and we can know that God exists because there are clear, visible evidences both in our external world and the things that nudge us inside that he's there. So it is not only a real thing that we can see and we know, and the things that we see and the power that exists within it and, and the things that cannot be measured by the scientific method. You realize things like human creativity and beauty and art and things that happen that the scientific method and scientific facts cannot support or suggest how those things happen. Those things are evidences of God. They are evidences of things that are beyond us that are more powerful and that exists beyond us and are given to us. And so Paul says, they don't, you and I don't have an excuse for not knowing truth because God has presented that to us. And we can see in what he has presented. I mean, aren't you captivated by things you see in nature? I mean, I am all the time. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here looking at Eric and Eric's in a business where he works outside and he he cuts trees down and excavates places. And I can imagine some of the things you see, some of the things you can't explain, some of the things you can't seem to ingest just from just your human mind point to something beyond yourself, just in nature. I was reading an article the other day that it is the 20th anniversary of the great Mount Everest catastrophe that happened in 1996. So I started reading this, and, and I actually watched that movie. You seen that movie? It's really interesting. I rarely watch a movie that kind of causes me to go read, but, um, but I really was so fascinated. Some of you are laughing. Yeah, there's not a lot of inspirational movies out there, but, um, but this really got me so intrigued with this story. So I went and bought the journalist's book that he wrote in 1997 called Into Thin Air by John 
crack hour. And, and I just finished it last night, believe it or not. I had started it and then I didn't finish it. And I, I finished it last night because I've been reading all these articles this week. Guys, do you understand how awesome, how seemingly unfathomable, how unbelievable God's creation is? And how unbelievable he made the human body and, and how he made us to adapt to his creation. And then, but yet that creation is so vast and so big and so huge that, that human beings, men and women get something in their heart and want to feel alive to the point to where they have to go and conquer it. And many do, but yet can't explain why two of the greatest mountaineers in American history couldn't conquer it. Just the vastness, the awesomeness, the beauty, the unthinkable of nature itself, of God's creation. Paul says that points to the invisible qualities of God that are eternal and are beyond us. We can't understand it. But the reason why we fight it is this. I, I'm, I don't think I'm going to make it today. Yeah, well, maybe come back next week. <laughs> there you go. There's a little, little hook right there. Um, if you're enjoying it. If not, you probably won't. But uh, not coming back. Here's why Paul says it's obvious, even in observing nature even in observing the things in which we see that we can't explain, even in knowing the thing, the void in our own heart and our own life, that God is there. But we suppress the truth because we want to control our lives and we want to control everything about our lives and we are subjective people. See, subjectivity means that we are ruled and we are shaped by our experiences and our own thoughts and our own emotions and our own feelings and our own personalities. And so when people who very different, everybody in this room has a different story, a different background, different experience, different parents who grew up different places, came from different families, have a different background in your education and all of that. And so that means that in this room is probably represented 50, 60, 70 different, different ideas about something. Because we're subjective in that. We are very much ruled by our emotions. And so subjective people that are ruled by experiences and emotions and feelings, feelings that cannot be trusted. Do you realize that you can't, you and I cannot trust our feelings oftentimes? You know what? Sometimes I'm of the opinion that when my feelings are right, I'm just lucky. <laughs> the blind squirrel found a nut. But because we're so subjective in nature and so we're so ruled by our feelings and emotions that are often so inaccurate, we need an objective truth to help all of us live as subjective people. And so where does an objective truth come from? A truth that says what is right here is right there and what is wrong here is wrong there. And, and if you want to get real technical and practical about it, you know, murder is murder in Colombia just like it is in Angola. 
These are universal, objective truths that are known to people in an instinctive way. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from people that are so subjective and filled with their emotions and feelings that are often untrustworthy cannot establish a truth that would be objective and universal for all. That has to come from God. So Paul says, they knew the truth. They know the truth because it's obvious. I mean, how more clear can he be? It's even obvious in nature. And when we see the things in nature that are so awesome, that points to God's invisible qualities and his eternal divine nature. So in seeing that, we recognize and understand that God is greater and bigger. And a greater, bigger God is the only one who has the ability to give us an objective, universal truth that we can all live by as a subjective people. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Verse 20 tells us two things, that God clearly reveals himself through creation and the world around us. And the second thing is the linchpin, the God who created that is eternally powerful. So the God who is eternally powerful, watch this logic. If we believe in a God who is eternally powerful and who is beyond us and has the credibility authority to give us an objective truth to live by that he has imparted to us both instinctively at times and as we learn it. If we believe that about that God, Paul says we are without excuse to seek that God for truth. Because he's a great source for it. He's the only source. So he says, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. But we do have excuses. And this leads me probably, I'm going I'm to probably stop. Okay? If you come back next week, we, we'll finish this. There's never enough time. There's never enough time. I, I understand. I know it's not. Getting hungry. <laughs> I've, I've come to this conclusion in my own life and in, in, in the world and, and in all these years of dealing with people. We don't naturally seek truth. We seek affirmation. So... So not seeking that which is beyond me that, that is best for me. I, I seek, because I'm subjective, I want to seek something that will affirm what I'm doing and how I feel. And, and me as a human being, I tend to believe the things, even as a Christian who, who has, I have submitted my life in faith to Christ. He, he saved me when I was 19 and, and I love him. And, 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 and I'm so eternally grateful for who he is. And, and I've given my life to him. But even as a believer who has done all of that, I, I still tend to believe the things that validate my feelings and not the thing that ultimately sets, us, sets me free and, and ultimately sets us free. And that is the truth that comes from God. And so this is how we suppress the truth. This is how we put it away. This is how we live according to our own subjective standards and our feelings and emotions. And this is how we make mistakes. This is how we make messes of our lives. This is how we make decisions that you get done with and you're like, why did I do that? 
make decisions and life choices and, and, and lifestyle choices and, and, and then we treat others and have relationships that other people are observing and looking at and going, why are you doing that? Why would you ever do that? Because it's subjective human beings who are sinful. This is what Paul's trying to say to the Romans. God is your only hope. He is your source of truth. He is eternally powerful. He knows. He alone gave you that purpose. In fact, he gave you and created the mind at which you have the liberty to reject him. And Paul says, we do it willingly we, because we tend to naturally not seek that truth that will set us free and help us. We tend to seek the affirmation. I want to validate my feelings. I do it all the time. I do it in my life. I do it in my spiritual walk with God. I do it in my marriage. I do it in my parenting. I'm going to leave here, go to Greenville this afternoon, speak at a church, speak at an event about, parent, about parenting. I don't know why they pick me. You know, Kim Pierman's here today. She grew up in that church. Don't tell them, Kim. I'm, I'm not an expert. And the great, what is the greatest thing that we can use in our parenting? The source of truth that we need truth. We need a guiding, objective truth that comes outside of my feelings to help me be a good parent to my daughter. But I, sometimes when I'm parenting my daughter, I want to validate my feelings and affirm myself more than I want to seek God's truth and how to do that. I want relief sometimes. <laughs> Stop doing that for me. Several years ago, me and Bonnie were so convicted, we went to this real parenting seminar. Um with a real expert. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about that. Bonnie, you remember this? And he said, uh, oftentimes she doesn't want to hear objective truth. And so we... Um, <laughs> yes, the objective truth for me tonight is the couch. And so uh, that's real. Uh, <laughs> keep digging, buddy. So we're sitting in this parenting seminar and um, this guy is talking about this idea of truth and he's talking about how it relates to, to our kids and even to relationships in general. And he says, um, he's talking about how we just, we seek the affirmation for us and not, the, not to shepherd or to guide the heart of the child. And he used that example and he said, you know, we want our child to stop doing this behavior because it's inconvenient to us. When in fact we should, through God's truth and with his help, parent the heart of that child for them. So that they will love God and so they, their behavior will, will emulate that which it's supposed to. Not because you just want them to shut up. Because it's inconvenient. Same is true in our lives with this idea of truth in our relationships is that we're just, we just want relief, you know. People don't seek truth. They seek relief, affirmation, and validation. What we miss, and this is where the great deception comes in, is that truth brings relief. It brings affirmation. It brings validation. How much greater validation is there? There is no greater affirmation and validation in the world 
that the God of the universe who made all these things that we don't understand loves you. That's truth. And not only that he loves you, that he desires for you to live in freedom and worship him. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God. Knew is a word that means both intellectually and emotionally. But they just wouldn't do it because we suppress, because we're subjective, because we don't naturally seek it. And then the Bible says they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Wicked people suppressed the truth. They began to think up foolish ideas. Thought about this too. I'll leave you with this. You know, back to that thing of validation. When we know something is true, you ever do this? When you know something is true, but you don't want to accept it, you just start making other things up to, to kind of make it work for me. <laughs> we, we do this all the time. I mean, back to the parenting thing. I mean, my daughter does this, but, you know, she's seven and she's a little sinner. <laughs> um, so you'll tell her something that's right and it could be right there in front of her, but, but if she don't want to do it, she'll make something up, uh, give you a, she's a great storyteller. We'll give you a great reason as to why that is not true and that she should not do that. And she, she's like a little philosopher. She's got a pipe and she sits around and smoking jacket. And, hmm, that's interesting. Smoke blowing him. Start smoking cigars, see? So just, just make it up. Why? Because I'm a subjective person. But I know it's true. This is what we do with God in our spiritual life. We just, we know he's there. We know he's true. Uh, he, you know, next week we're going to talk about the word. Okay, so we'll finish this. And this is our source of truth. So, so what's great about all this, talking about truth and discoverable and noble, the reason why it is is because that same God, that creator who gave us this truth and is objective and is the only one that can give us those values, um, gave us uh, something to read. And so he didn't give us a puzzle to solve. So we'll talk about how we know truth through his word. But I would just say, Maybe it becomes a prayer of ours, a desire, a pursuit of ours to seek God and his truth and to apply it in moments where we want to suppress it and put it away. Apply it in moments in which we really just want to validate our feelings and seek that affirmation and to apply it when we know what's true and what's right to do and then we make something up. You know, I know it's wrong to lie, but man... I'm going to make up this little standard in ethics so that I can get away with this or I can do this. Man, I know it's unethical to do this at work, but man, I, I know that's the truth, but I got to kind of make something up to be able to get this to work for me. I know it's not right to abuse people and I know it's wrong to, hatred is wrong and, and manipulation is wrong, but uh, I just, I got to fix this for myself and make it work for me. So I have to make something up to, get this to go. I know that this is wrong what I'm doing in my life. I know I should take this out of my life. I know this is destroying me. 
I know that this could destroy my marriage, my family. But I, I just, I like it so much. My feelings are validated when I do it. I'm affirmed. And so I've got to make something up to make it work. Maybe we can apply God's truth in those moments. Because he alone gives us the objective truth beyond ourselves. He's eternal. He's God. And we know he's there. And he gives us his truth to live by because he loves us. I mean, what a great affirmation. So go home today. Be affirmed in your heart and your life that the God of creation loves you, gave himself for you. And that's all the affirmation and validation you need. That is truth. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving.